This podcast is supported by an educational grant by Bosch Health, made available through the CDA Corporate Supporter Program. Certainly the future is booming in atopic dermatitis. And of course, the first molecule that we all use is dupilumab. So having this new era of a second second slash third biologic therapies in atopic dermatitis is highly relevant for us to know. That's Dr. Elena Nechaporek, an assistant professor of dermatology at McGill University Health Center. She's also the director of undergraduate studies for dermatology at McGill. She's our guest once again in this episode of JCMS Author Interviews. I'm your host, Kirk Barber. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Cutaneous Medicine and Surgery and a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Calgary. Today, we're happy to have Dr. Dechaporek on the podcast to discuss the article she co-authored in our May-June issue of uh, JCMS. It's titled, Inhibition of IL-13, A New Pathway for Atopic Dermatitis. So before we get started, though, I want to remind you that you can access this article free on the JCMS website. Uh, This will be outside our paywall for the next uh, three weeks so that you can uh, enjoy it, show it with your friends, and hopefully uh, you'll like it and let your friends know to follow us on JCMS Author Interviews. So without further ado, Alina, welcome once again to JCMS Author Interviews. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's so nice to have you back. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you about this. IL-13 is a new pathway. It's uh, we've be, we've come a long way. I mean, atopic dermatitis was uh, uh, an entity that that we lo- we looked after patients with tar for a while, right? And and then steroids, and then lights, and now um, all this molecular stuff. And so it's great. And thank you for for putting this together for us. So what was it? What was the purpose that you and your authors had? And and trying to get all this information together? Uh, well, that's an excellent question. Of course, I think all of us dermatologists were at least a little bit eczema experts. And of course, some of them are more of eczema experts than others. Uh, and as you can see, some of the co-authors on the paper are certainly Canadian uh, eczema experts like Dr. Carolyn Jack and Simon Nijan. Um, so I think it's very interesting era. I feel that we are maybe like 10 years or 15 years behind psoriasis. But certainly the future is booming in atopic dermatitis. And of course, the first molecule that we all use is dupilumab. So having this new era of a second, second slash third biologic therapies in atopic dermatitis is highly relevant for us to know. And it's highly timely as well as um, Health Canada just approved tralokinumab literally a few weeks ago in October. And uh, we will be using this new molecule in the upcoming months, probably, for our patients. So I think that's basically what motivated the review on our perspective, to really learn about the data that is behind these molecules, to see whether there is any science behind that can potentially suggest a difference in mechanism of action and efficacy and safety, safety points with IL-13 inhibitors as opposed to dupirumab. So when I looked and reviewed your article, we look at the the uh, mechanism of action to, to to speak specifically about that. The figure and the discussion all seem to suggest that IL thirteen was responsible for virtually every abnormality in atopic dermatitis, from the keratinocyte uh, through the eosinophil to the lymphocyte. So, is that? true? And then if it's true, why don't we see bigger numbers in our response rates? I think it's a complex response. And I'm not sure whether anyone actually knows the answer. 
Um, so I think the idea of IL-13 being important comes from the uh, from some of the recent studies that show that IL-13 was highly upregulated in the atopic dermatitis skin samples, and perhaps more so than interleukin-4. But I think the most important of the message is that IL-13, IL-4, they're both TH2 or type 2, better probably wording, um, cytokines, and both of them are as important uh, for many of the pathogenic aspects we see in atopic dermatitis. So they, of course, can downregulate the uh, antimicrobial peptides, predisposing atopic dermatitis patients to staph aureus colonization. They can downregulate important structural proteins such as filagrin, loricrine, involucrin. So they are certainly there. Um, I think the future will really tell whether it's all interleukin 13 doing or both, or some potential synergy or more complicated pathway between the two. But um, I think what we see from the data and from also the efficacy of the molecules we use in the clinic is that the type 2 pathway is, of course, important. Now, when I look at the mechanism again, and I look at to try to understand it, it looks like it's a jack stat business that um, all of these monoclonal antibodies are, are affecting. Um, I mean, is it just a way to find uh, outside the cell how to get inside the cell, if you will? Possibly. So some of the signal mediated through interleukin-13, indeed, uh, is mediated through JAK1 and 2 signaling pathway. And this also brings us to the new molecule that has been Health Canada approved, upacitinib. Um, but of course, this is more, more of a small molecule and seems to be very effective, but with a different challenge, which is the monitoring that it's required. I think the pathogenesis of atopic dermatitis, we're probably just seeing at the, the tip of the iceberg. And, and there is still quite a bit of a, a bit to be clarified. And the new data also suggesting that the immune phenotype may vary across potentially ethnicities and some uh, signaling pathways may be different among the individuals and uh, across the time point, acute disease exacerbation versus chronic disease. So I think it's very complex and we will be learning a lot in the future years. So is there any work getting a molecular sort of signature or genetic signature for an individual so that I do a blood test and, ah, this is going to be your, your treatment, whether it's a monocle antibody or a JAK or a STAT or whatever comes in our future. Is there any work at, the, at that end of the... Of the uh... For a blood test to determine, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Uh, what I have seen across the studies, of course, is that potentially Asian patients may have more of a phenotype that involves the type two, type 17 signaling, so TH17 cells potentially. And uh, in Caucasian patients, the type 2 immunity may be more important. Um, I know that there are studies clarifying that. Um, some of the studies are based, of course, in Asia and others in the United States. Possibly there are groups in Canada who do that. I'm not aware of a blood test that it's yet available, but... Um, I think the science in dermatology is booming like no others. Yeah, well, I'm hoping for a tape stripping that helps me sort it out as a clinician. I mean, that, that'll be the future. I love right? that. I mean, phenotype, you could, we're, we're, we're so visual. We'll do some tape stripping. We'll put it on a little analyzer and we'll pick the drug. Yes. So um, mechanism of action you reviewed. Let's look at the two IL-13 drugs that are close, well, Trilokinumab, as you mentioned, we already have use, or we soon will have use. Um, 
Librakizumab uh, is the other drug soon to be available to us. Let's start with the one we know the least about in Canada, and that would be Librakizumab, I think. Perfect. Um, so Librakizumab is a monoclonal antibody that is preventing the interleukin-13 to bind to its receptor, and the receptor is combined of the common units of interleukin-4 receptor alpha and interleukin-13 receptor 1. Um, so it's the same receptor that is also inhibited by dupilumab. And what it does, it prevents the downstream signaling. It does not seem to affect the type 2 and uh, the other interleukin-13, the decoy receptor, which role is not very clear uh, so far to my knowledge. So basically, it will prevent the interleukin-13 downstream signaling and perhaps at least some of the effects that interleukin-13 exhibits in atopic dermatitis. So the clinical effect, then let's, uh, let's jump to the clinical world. So I look, yeah, and it's a beautiful review, and I think anyone that wants to know anything about these drugs has got to read this because it's, it's very, very inclusive. So my very first question is, when I've, I've looked at the DUPI data, I've looked at Trilokinrinab, I've looked at the Lebrokinrinab data, and I see a lot of placebo response. The placebo responses are very high. And this is where I have a question for you as a, as a scientist. I, I've got an effect, so the EZ75 is uh, 55%, say. But if I have a placebo of 34%, how do I interpret that? Well, we can try to interpret the difference between the two. So the difference between the lebrikizumab response and the placebo. So this uh, clinical difference uh, in improvement. But of course, atopic dermatitis is a fluctuating disease. So placebo effect is, of course, there, and it's much more there than in psoriasis, that it's more stable in time. And the other factor is that we actually also know that topical moisturizers and skin habits and topical corticosteroids also work in atopic dermatitis. So the placebo response that we're seeing is certainly stronger. That makes it more challenging, and that probably accounts for some of the difference in the variable we see across the studies with Lebri in comparison to Trilo in comparison to Dupidumab. The numbers are always a little bit different, although they are always statistically significant in favor of the drug, of course. But I think this placebo response is quite a challenge, and when authors or researchers decide to use more of a moderate atopic dermatitis as inclusion criteria with easy scores of 12, then this, this delta or this difference that we can see between placebo and the active treatment group response will probably be lower. Right. So for people interpreting this data, the thing to remember is you're going to see just you, you, in the advertising, you may just see the uh, easy 75 number. You may not see the placebo number. Yes, of course. And, and and that delta is impressive in its small size, not in its large size, right? So so when I look at these IL-13 drugs and I look at the mechanism of action and I think, oh, geez, these should be, these should be blockbusters. And then I and then I see the easy 75, 50, 60 percent. And then I go, okay. And then I look at the placebo, I think, whoa. And then they always seem to do better with topical corticosteroids. So as you pointed out, uh, when we get everybody, the, the, the original trials weren't that impressive. The topical steroid trials are much better, but the delta is still uh, to be pretty small. So um, what do you think? Uh, I think using them in clinical practice, this will be really telling for us. The real world experience 
and our personal experience with the drug will really help to make our mind. And this is pretty much what we also see with Dupilumab. To be honest with you, three years ago or four years ago, when we started to first use Dupilumab, I felt that with the numbers that we see, it may be similar to a Tanercept uh, for psoriasis. But I think with practice and with actually seeing these patients, we kind of get the feeling which patients may benefit the most from the drug even before we start just by looking at them, which patients may have more risk of conjunctivitis. So the patient with very heavy head and neck dermatitis to start with are probably at higher risk. And then we actually see that we actually need to give this drug a bit more time. So the initial trials assess the efficacy at time points of 12 or 16 weeks. And uh, this is the time actually that we see that it just, this is the time that actually they start working. So perhaps this more long-term data at 52 weeks and longer will be more informative as we see that the skin starts repairing itself and this acanthosis and fibrosis and pruigonodularis and lichen simplex chronicus like lesion that we see in our atopic patients, they will take time to remodel. They will take time to get better. So looking at the easy or IGA zero score at 12 weeks may be a bit too fast. So many of these new trials use 16 weeks as a time point, but even that may be a little bit too early. We may be looking at these people at uh, 24 weeks, right? And as you pointed out, the clinician is going to be king here um, as far as uh, determining the usefulness of these drugs. Like you say, I think it's just too short. and We don't give the drug enough time to work. And we we all jump because we're so keen to get it, uh, 12 and 16 weeks, and now it's to be 24 weeks. And in the atopic world, that's pretty slow. Um, if you, you know, in, in somebody that's suffered, but then in contrast, maybe they haven't had a medicine for 20 years. So way to get other six months to clear, you know, um, we have to beg patients. But I really do think that uh, the clinician has a great role to play here, not just in phenotype and picking a drug. Uh, but it also following the drug over time and making sure that uh, you hit a home run with it. So trilocinumab. Trilocinumab uh, may be a tiny bit different as it really inhibits the, the cytokine itself into looking 13. So it could actually have the, the effect on both uh, receptors, the interleukine 13 receptor, uh, receptor 1 and interleukine 13 receptor alpha 2, which is the decoy receptor. Um, so it is possible that it will be a little bit different. But uh, of course, so far, the results we're seeing, there is a bit more studies published in atopic dermatitis with trilokinumab, with a few phase two trials and the recent phase three trials as well. And there are many ongoing trials, including in adolescence and the long-term extension, and also the mechanism of uh, action and interaction with other drugs potentially. So uh, we'll be learning more and more about this. Uh, but of course, so far, the results are, like you said, um, the placebo effect is still quite strong. And the, the delta we see is not as spectacular, but I think these drugs will prove to be very useful in clinical practice. And Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And it's the way we use them is with topical corticosteroids. I mean, the monotherapy studies, you know, they inform, but they're not really that useful. Um, and, and the scoring systems for atopic dermatitis are much more difficult to do. And I'm sure there's lots of variability in the research. Of course. And then plus, if we don't allow to use corticosteroids during the trial, and then the statistical consideration of the trial will be to exclude any patient that took a rescue drug, then we may end up in unbalanced 
uh, group at the end or smaller numbers. Right. And I think it's going to be hard to compare the studies in tralocumab, lebricizumab, and dupilumab for exactly those reasons. For the for the trial um, considerations, not so much for the drug considerations, because they're all done a little bit differently as far as how they treated missing data, um, the scoring systems that were used, and that sort of thing. So again, it comes down to clinicians. It comes down to uh, PROs or patient-reported outcomes. Um, I like I like when they break these trials down and they they look at sleep, because I think sleep is the thing that I aim for as a clinician. And when I see that NRS and I think, oh, geez, science has broken down to a a zero to 10 sort of happy face sliding thing. um, I think, well, okay, well, we're back to basics here um, in many ways. And these drugs all help sleep much more than they help skin uh, in the studies. I agree with you. And I think this is uh, from the patients I see in clinic. And I think this is the same across many physicians the first thing that patients inform us they're getting better is itch and sleep. And these certainly are the domains uh, that are affecting the most. They're affecting the most the quality of life and productivity. This is what I'm living through right now. It's sleep deprivation. It certainly makes people more itchy and more stressed. Oh, for sure. And and if you can imagine going through your entire life uh, sleep deprived and how you know, this cumulative life impairment score that people are starting to think more about. Um, Sleep has been so impactful, or the lack of sleep is probably very impactful and and, uh, makes a difference in people's career choices, not or or life choices in in virtually affects every aspect of life. So, um, so, um, so that's, I like the NRS uh, in the studies. I look for those first um, and and all the drugs seem to really help uh, there. Okay, that was safety of these drugs. I mean, it's it's uh, it's pretty impressive. The conjunctivitis was the big issue with dupilumab. Doesn't seem to be such a big problem here. Um, what, what's your what's your thinking in the in in what you've seen in your work? Well, this seems to be what exactly what you're saying. Uh, the number seems to be lower, but of course, this is not head to head with dupilumab. So I think really clinical practice will be more informative. Um, and with dupilumab, I think what we learned is that certainly the risk of um, conjunctivitis is higher in patients who had a history of conjunctivitis. And we know that atopic dermatitis is at risk of having allergic conjunctivitis, at least. And, um, and then patients with head and neck dermatitis at the start point before starting dupilumab may be at higher risk. Certainly, this is the, the type of patients I see suffering from conjunctivitis. So... I think in these studies, it's very reassuring. They seem to have a lower risk, but it's really by using them in clinical practice. And if ever there will be any head-to-head trial, this is where we will really confirm that. But I think the overall safety profile of these drugs is excellent. It's not just excellent, it's superb as best we can <laughs> I tell. I mean, I mean, you just look at it, where, the, where are the safety issues here? You know, um, and so that might be comforting to parents starting their children on drug, um, of course. Um, and then, as you point out, the conjunctivitis story, though, was, uh, um, but I take some comfort in the fact that the newer, the more recent studies will be looking for it. In the dupilumab world, it, that's not the way we started out thinking about it. And it was sort of a thing we found out and discovered as we went along, right? So again, clinicians will dictate, um, will, will be be informing us as to uh, the exact incidents. What's interesting 
is that uh, similar to dupirumab in the non-atopic dermatitis trial using these drugs, lebrikizumab and tralokinumab, there really wasn't a signal for conjunctivitis in asthma, neither, neither with uh, isnophilic esophagitis. So it seems to be a more of an atopic dermatitis-specific side effect. Yeah, the disease, yeah. All right, so it's a disease-related event, and um, but it doesn't appear to be exacerbated by these other two drugs or exacerbated to the same degree. The numbers are lower, of course. In the trials, yeah, in the trials at this point. Okay, well, listen, is there anything else about IL-13 that, that you discovered from your review? I'm very excited about this type, the type 2 inhibition in general, because I think basically as, as we are learning about the mechanism of action, I think we're also just scratching the surface about the use of these drugs, because uh, dupilumab is now being studied for so many other skin conditions that some of them are in the dermatitis group, but others are in the fibrosis and in chronic urticaria. So I think it's, uh, it's really an exciting new pathway. It's like the, all the IL-17 that are also being explored in conditions other than psoriasis. And I think this will be also the future. It will be the inhibition of the pathway and then the pathway that we will see uh, based on the patient's phenotype. All right. Well, I look forward to um, article number two in another year on IL-13 and what it's helped in other conditions. Um, that would be exciting. So. <laughs> Yes. So thank you again. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Thank you. Well, that was interesting. That was Dr. Elena Nechaporek, an assistant professor of dermatology at McGill University Health Center. Uh, she's also the director of undergraduate studies uh, for dermatology at McGill. Well, that's it for this episode of JCMS Author Interviews. I, I really hope you enjoyed your time with us once again. In order to uh, reach a wider audience, uh, if you could give us a five-star review, that'd be great, and more people will be able to hear us. And uh, please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss our future episodes. There'll be a lot coming up over the end of this year and into 2022. So I'm Kirk Barber, and thanks very much for listening. So until next time, be good to each other. Mm-hmm.